The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. In a special report, we went behind the walls of Mountjoy Prison as it prepares to mark its 170th birthday. I spoke with prisoners, teachers and those in charge of running Mountjoy about daily life, gang culture, drugs and what's been changing in Ireland's most recognisable prison. Any person coming through into the prison, they all have to go through the same procedure. Um, if I go outside the, the, the secure area uh, a dozen times a day, I have to go through the same procedure every time I come back in. Anything metal has to come off, no matter what it is. As you'll see, I'm wearing a belt with a plastic buckle, which sort of um, helps me when I come through, so I don't have to, to take off the, the belt, because that is the solid part coming through. Which you have a that, huge bunch of keys, though. A huge bunch of keys, yes, yeah. I suspect that's the most valuable bunch of keys in Dublin. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm speaking to you now from inside the confines of Mountjoy Jail. This jail dates from 1850, so next year, 2020, will mark its 170th anniversary. Uh, when you look at the gate behind me, well, it's been here from the very beginning, and there's a lot of old stone buildings around. But believe it or not, behind the facade of these stone buildings, pretty much everything has changed. Eddie, we're at a kind of a crossroads. Where is this? We're in what's known as the circle, Pat, okay? So it's the, it's the command area for the, the main prison in Mountjoy. And as you see, there are four wings, A, B, C, and D, and three landings off each wing. So we've about 460 prisoners in here today. Um, we have two wings which are protection prisoners. And now what does protection mean? So protection means that a prisoner who has requested protection or we may have put him on protection for information we have in relation to he may be in danger, he may have said he owes money in the community or he's involved in a, 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 a gang-related activity and he has requested protection for that reason. So we take him to an area where he's, he is guaranteed his safety. He doesn't mix with all the other prisoners and uh, it creates uh, creates problems for us. We have 17 groups of protections on these two divisions and the big challenge there is to unlock them and give them as much out-of-cell time, but also keep them safe from each other. Now, that's A and B wings. Yeah. Uh, I see C and D. I mean, we're, we're like, um, I suppose, the points of a star, yeah. uh, half of them anyway, sure. uh, running through a semicircle. So C and D, what's happening there? Okay, so C and D is uh, what we would call ordinary landings. So the prisoners on the C and D division enjoy full out-of-cell time. They have free access to all the activities, education, work and training, uh, exercise, gyms, and they go freely to those areas. Uh, there's less supervision, um, and they can work with each other and engage with each other without, generally without any conflict. So you have to analyse the background of each and every prisoner coming in to see whether they need protection, which gang they might be affiliated with, before you can decide where they go. Okay, so each prisoner is seen by a governor and a chief officer on committal or the next morning. So they may come in this evening and tomorrow morning they'll be seen by a governor and chief. And we'll have a fairly comprehensive risk assessment. Uh, we call it the committal interview. And we'll go through a series of questions in relation to, first of all, the nature of the sentence and that will they appeal the sentence? Did the family know they're here? Do they need to contact anybody? All of those kind of questions. And then we'll get to the information in relation to are they in conflict with anybody in the community? Is there any issues? Are there any issues of safety that they want to bring to our attention? and usually they're reluctant to tell you who they're fighting with but we explain that the reality is we ask these questions so we know we can keep them safe. I'm looking around at the, the prison and although I know you've updated a lot of it this is a very old part of the prison. It is. Uh, so Mount Joy was built in 1850 so it's a very old prison um, but it has been refurbished in recent years and I suppose the standard of accommodation while looking old is quite good. Each, each cell has in-cell sanitation. Each prisoner has a cell to themselves. So I suppose, you know, while it looks 
quite austere and quite old-fashioned. It is quite modern in its, in its uh, facilities. Now, when you talk about the protection guys getting a limited amount of uh, recreational time or educational time versus the C and Ders who have more, what is the ratio? Uh, how many hours a day would each category get? Okay, well, we strive that every protection prisoner will get three hours out of cell time. That's our objective, and we work towards that. Sometimes that doesn't always happen because there may be issues that, you know, staffing implications that restrict us from allowing prisoners out. But three hours will be the objective for protection prisoners and uh, ordinary prisoners then would between five and six hours a day. Now I know from time to time you have incidents where uh, prisoners will attack prisoners and uh, you've shown me some CCTV of a couple of those incidents and they're very violent. Yeah I mean the reality is Pat um, prison is a, is a difficult place to be. It's You put in today we have 685 prisoners all of a particular age, don't want to be here. You know, there's, there's all the dynamics of putting 685 men in a, in, a, in a confined area. And, you know, it's a reality of prison. There is difficulties. The problems that are in the community spill over into prison. So if there are issues going on with gangs or whatever it might be in the community, we have to contend with that in prison. So prison is a difficult place. Anybody that would think otherwise is mistaken. Now, I know it's a peculiar comparison, but... I'm very familiar with Dublin Zoo because my father worked there and back in his time the the keeper would mix with the animals and that's the way it was. Now the keepers never mix with the elephants for example or the, the gorillas or the chimpanzees or whatever. And now when the prisoners are let out, the C&Ders are let out to recreate, they're left alone. I mean, there's no prison officers kind of mixing with them and making sure they adhere to discipline. Well, well, uh, there is uh, there are prison officers in every area where prisoners are released, bar our exercise yard and our, and our recreation yard, but they are observed from an observation hub. But in terms of work training areas, education, prison staff are there among the prisoners. And, you know, by and large, and it would be internationally recognised that Prison officers, Irish prison officers and prisoners have a, generally a very good relationship. And we had a recent visit from the CPT, which is the Committee for the Prevention of T- Torture, and they actually commented on the relationship, and, and the relationship was explained to them by prisoners how the relationship between staff and prisoners was very good. So we're very proud of the fact that we have generally a good relationship with prisoners. Okay, there are pockets of issues, people, there are personality clashes, of course, that we get that in all areas of society, but generally speaking, there is a good relationship between staff and prisoners. It's been said that you can only run a prison with the cooperation of the prisoners. Is, is that something you believe in? Well, look, I mean, officially I would say, of course not. You know, we run the prisons and we do run the prisons. But the reality is prisoners, if conditions are good, visits are good, food is good, and, and out-of-cell time is good, they have uh, access to good education and work training activities, of course the prisoners are more content. So prisoners are more content, they're more engaged and they're more compliant. So it really is about the conditions and it's about the atmosphere and it's about the approach staff take with prisoners. It's about our approach as managers. That all leads to a compliant and a a smooth running prison. Now, uh, there are prisoners who will be here for a relatively short time and then there are prisoners who will be here for a long time. And I know that the the long timers can graduate to a a better situation, can't they? Sure. So, yeah, absolutely. I, I was explaining to you earlier, Pat, we have 20 committals, for example, this week and... 13 of them are serving sentences of less than four months and in my own view four months is not a it's not a long enough time prisoners say it's too long for them to engage with the services so i see really no value in having a prisoner here for that period of time and could it be counterproductive i mean you get someone who's coming in here for the first time at the age of 18 19 whatever it might be and they get a taste of the prison life and all the dynamics of the gangs and so on for three or four months and then they're back out on the street 
Well, that is the reality. And also, I mean, if you think about it, if somebody's released from prison back into the community and the supports are not there, and they're clearly not there in sufficient quantities, if the supports are not there, if the welcome isn't there, the public don't want them back, they will more or less gravitate towards the people that they are more comfortable with, which may be criminals. So, and it's a vicious cycle. So the reality is, and I say this to a lot of people, prison and the probation service do a particular role, and we do it to the best of our ability, and we provide rehabilitation, addiction service, and all that. But if they're not in the community when people are released, and almost every prisoner will be released, if they're not released to support, that whole cycle continues on. And I mean, particularly prisoners in their 20s up to their 30s, that particular age seems to be very vulnerable. So a guy that comes in and does four months could potentially be on that cycle for the next 10 years. Now, you can hear from the noise. <laughs> uh, there are a lot of prisoners in at the moment. Uh, are you full? We are, well, we always say we're full. No, we're not full. We have 685 here today. We have a capacity for 755. We have an operating capacity of 700 at the moment, so we're not full. But the courts are back sitting, and now that the courts are back sitting, their committal rate has increased dramatically, and it won't be long before we're full. And the reality is, I think, with the the increased guards on the street and with the increased conviction rate, the prison numbers are growing. There's no question about that. And we will be faced with challenges very soon in relation to overcrowding. So here's the irony. You've got uh, Joe Citizen calling for more and more guards. And then suddenly we'll see the prison population rising and uh, the detection rate and the conviction rate will soar and people say there's more crime. But there's not really more crime, there's just more, more detection. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, there was an interesting statistic there recently. The CSO released figures in relation to recidivism rates, and they talked about 50% of the prison population will return to prison within three years. And at the time, this was very sensational. All the radio stations covered it, and a number of the radio stations came to Mount Joy, and the cameras were trained on the prison, and they talked about recidivism rates. And I mean, I thought it was a little bit ironic prison doesn't cause recidivism it's when people are released into the community and they don't have the supports and they re-engage in criminal activity that's what causes recidivism prison actually tries to work to mitigate recidivism, we, we provide uh, rehabilitation, we provide education addiction services, we, talk, we work with homeless bodies in relation to homelessness, so we do a lot of good work, but, and a lot of the time it's lost when a prisoner is released Now talk to me about uh, drugs in prison, because you know, the stats are there, there are so many drug detections and heaven knows how much is not detected, but I mean you've come across guys in this prison who are wasted and Absolutely. I know our listeners will be asking me, how do they get the stuff? For the, for the, the non-professional among us who was looking in in a prison said, how the hell do, prison, do drugs get into prison? The reality is, we're a city centre prison, we're surrounded by streets and back alleyways where we have probably 150 people visit the prison on a daily basis, come in through a search system that you came through. It's robust, but it isn't robust enough to detect contraband coming in. You have, we have had the phenomenon of drones coming in, flying drugs into the prison, simple people throwing drugs over the wall. So there's a, there are many ways of bringing drugs into prison and contraband into prison. And as we close off one avenue, another, another one generally opens up. It is a reality. It's not reality. It's not just confined to this country. It's in every jurisdiction. Prison is a, our drugs are a scourge in prison in all jurisdictions. But you have a, a, an extensive methadone program. We have. We have an extensive. We have a very good medical program in general, and we have an extensive extensive methadone program. And unfortunately, people even on methadone who are stable from, we say, the addiction, the original addiction. We'll take the opportunity if drugs become available to take them. So, you know, methadone is not the entire solution. You know, the reality is it, it's about education. It's about convincing people to abstain from taking drugs in the first place. And, you know, so many issues. Drugs, is it, it's a scourge on society. It's not just confined to prison. 
Well, I know this prison was famous from its very beginning of having in-cell sanitation with ceramic loos and all the rest of it. They had to be taken out. Well, that had to be taken out long before uh, I, I came into the prison service, yes, I think. Now, I think it was a little bit more um, uh, primitive than the way you describe sure. it. I understand it was more like a trench, to be honest with you, so it wasn't fit for purpose. So uh, when they, take, they took them out, it was seen as the most effective way of, of dealing with that problem at the time. So. Yeah, because uh, there were two stories. One was that the drains were getting clogged, mm-hmm. and the other was that the Fenians were passing notes out to the outside world using the sanitation system. Quite, well, they didn't have drones then, so it's quite possible they were, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, let's have a look at the old triangle. Um, it went jingle jangle That's along the, the banks of the Royal Canal. So the story of the old triangle, I mean, uh, the old triangle went jingle jangle along the banks of the Royal Canal, and that's it. That is the old triangle. That's it. Now, my understanding was there was a a chief officer, a very infamous chief officer here, who used to ring the old triangle every Sunday morning for mass. So that was the the objective of it, as far as I know. Other people will tell you different stories, but certainly he used to ring it every Sunday morning, and that was a signal that mass was about to start. A hungry feeling came on me stealing. And the mice, they were squealing in my prison cell. And that old triangle, it went jingle-jangle along the banks of the Royal Canal. Well, as our listeners can hear, it's gone very quiet down here now. So we're now in the base of the prison, okay? So we have two, our left, our committal unit. To the right, we have a protection landing again, which is called the B-Base. And further on the corridor here, we have the reception area. So when prisoners come in from the courts, they will come in the gate that you came in today, and they will take come off the bus. You've seen the buses on the road. They'll come off the bus, and they'll be brought to reception. And when they go into reception, they will hand in their belongings. They will do a brief interview with the reception officer. A nurse will see them there to see you know, what state their health is in at that stage. Will and there be a whole body search? So they'll remove the clothing, okay, so they'll remove the top half of the clothing, then the bottom half of the clothing, they will be given prison clothes. They will sit on what we call a boss chair, which detects metal. Um, and then after that process, property is handed in, they'll put that property into a locker, and the prisoner then will be taken from the reception area, come along this corridor and around to our committal unit. And every prisoner will spend one night in the committal unit. So it gives the services an opportunity to meet them chaplain will come down so you can imagine some prisoners are well used to prison there isn't it doesn't phase them in any way but many people first time in prison it's a real big jolt to the system so they come in so it gives them an opportunity to as you said it's quiet down here take a few deep breaths get used to the environment uh, ask as many questions as they can and following that then we will assess them the following morning and decide what part of the prison they're likely to go to Okay, we're so in the, the committal unit now. Yeah, so we're in our committal unit, Pat. We have 22 cells here. They're all single cells. As I say, prisoners will spend one night here, give them an opportunity to, to acclimatise themselves. We'll go into a cell now. I'm just looking at a sign here, Governor. In a recent four-year period, 16 men died as a result of drug overdoses in Irish prisons. Don't be the next person to die don't risk taking drugs. It's a huge sign. Absolutely. So we have these signs in our visiting area and our committal area and on all the landings. And I suppose it was part of a campaign we organised through the Red Cross. The the Red Cross is prisoner-led. And it was about getting that stark information out there to prisoners and particularly to visitors. Because very often particularly mothers for some strange reason who feel obliged to support the son or whatever it might be in prison and feel put under pressure, maybe in drugs. And the impact of that 
could be the death of their son. And as I say, you see that the figures are stark. That's the reality. That is as a direct result of people overdosing on drugs. So and it's they died in prison, died in prison, four per year on average. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. All right. Let's let's go into the cell and uh, have a look. It's a. A small cell, I suppose it's about six feet wide and it's about 12 feet long. About that, yeah. Um, yes, and as you can see, it's very basic. You have a bed and a mattress, a toilet, a wash and basin, mirror and a TV in the cell behind you. And that basically is it. And between the bed and the toilet, there's just a, a, half, wall a half wall running up about two and a half feet. That's it, just for dignity. Yeah, that's yeah. really it. And there is a telly in there the cell. There is a TV, yeah. And, you know, again, some people would talk about TVs and cells. I mean, a TV is a very basic commodity now. Uh, TVs were introduced into cells uh, probably about 20 years ago, I'd say now. And they were transformative at the time because... Uh, self-harm was a big issue in prison boredom people sitting in a cell so the TV has always been it's like company in the cell for, for, for a prisoner so it now, in all the American shows I've seen about prison you know lights at 10 o'clock the wing goes dark and the prisoners are left in the darkness not so here no no so prisoners have control you'll see the lights which they have control of the light in their cell um, um, prisoners are locked up at, at 7.30 in the evening and so they spend that particular time until 8 o'clock the following morning in their cell but they have control of the TV they have books they have, they have light they have a kettle there's no kettle here at the minute but there will be a kettle here when a committal prisoner comes in so no it's not like the American TV show at all yeah. and how many channels do they have on the telly they have only terrestrial channels so I must stress that we do not have Sky Sports We've moved from the committal area into another area. There's some showers at one end, and there are eight cells here. Now, what are they for? So this is what's known as our challenging behaviour unit. Okay, so this would be where prisoners who have been involved in incidents, who may be, uh, may be detained under Rule 62, which is a rule that we apply when prisoners are engaged in counterproductive activity or they may be causing difficulties up in the main prison. So we would detain them here for a period of time. So the regime is, is well, there's less available prisoners. They have an exercise yard which they can access, but they're not accessing the general services that are in the rest of the prison. So it is an area that we try to use as little as possible, but you'll find you've heard the prisoner talking out to you. So he may have been engaged in something during the week and he'll come down here. It's like a cooling off area. It gives them an opportunity to... But the, the cell is the same Very otherwise. same cell. Yeah, there's nothing different about it. It's just that they're, they're out of general population. Well, now I'm just about to head into the education unit where I'm hoping to meet Dr. Anne Costello. She's the head of the unit. And also, if I'm lucky, I'll get to speak to a couple of prisoners. Well, we provide education for all the prisoners in Mountjoy. We have a very broad curriculum, and I guess if I talk about the curriculum, it's probably the best way to explain to you what we do, and maybe more importantly, why we do what we do. The education is provided in a partnership arrangement between the local CDETB, or the Education and Training Board, and the prison service. So all the teachers are employed by the Department of Education, and we have the same standards of conditions of service as any secondary school teacher. So you get the educational expertise of the education boards, but then that's tailored by the prison service to the unique needs of the prison population. Now, let's talk about the prison population generally, and we can only give averages, I suppose, but in terms of the literacy and the numeracy of prisoners here, how would you describe it? Well, their literacy and numeracy levels or their basic education levels would be much lower than the population. Uh, but 
I don't want to necessarily say everybody because it's not it's not really a homogeneous group. So we do have some prisoners who've had a positive educational experience, but yes, our the basic skills is something that a lot of our guys struggle with. There are people who will try to get the state exams. Yeah, we do a lot of accreditation. However, the state exams, I suppose the precarious nature of prison and sentencing and students being moved from prison to prison, it's not always practical and feasible. Having said that, lots of our students do the junior cert, do the leaving cert, go on to do open university. But we focus a lot on QQI qualifications because they're short, flexible, modular courses. So the guys can start here and if they are transferred to the Midlands or somewhere else, they can finish it there. The topics, the subjects. The creative arts are very important to us and they're very central because we see them as easily navigated gateway subjects into more formal learning. So while a lot of our subjects are based on employability skills, getting living skills, we're also trying to cultivate and create among our learners, I suppose, the capacity for critical reflection so that ultimately they can come to understand what it was that took them to Mount Joy in the first place and what they need to do now to make sure they don't come back. Do you think you could introduce me to one or two of your students? Absolutely, yeah. So if you like, I'll introduce you to maybe one of our students who is on protection first, and then we might talk to one of the guys who's not. Hi, Joe. What are you studying here? I do a range of studies here at the minute. I'm in the music and also I'm doing a psychology course in Pathways to Change, which is to look at how to lower your risk factor. So people like will be going to parole boards or looking for stuff in this. The risk factor is always assessed, whether you're high risk, medium risk, low risk. Just whether to let you out or not. And if you're low risk, you have a good chance of getting out and exactly, resuming your life. Exactly. So this course is to lower your risk People will be classed at different risks. So some people will be high risk, some people low. But this course to help you lower your risk. So I'm finding that at the minute very enjoyable. Also, I'm doing the music, which I brought out my own album this year, which was great. To be able to like give your family a copy of an album that you've made, you've created. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Like They couldn't believe it either, you know. Uh, are you singer, composer, I'm guitar singer. player? I'm or? Trying to do a bit of singing. I'm the singer of the band. Like, I try to do a bit of singing with the band. Like, with drummer, we have a drummer, with bass player, guitar player. And did you have any interest in playing music before you came in here? Well, growing up, um, my dad was an MC on a Sunday in, a, in a, the local pub. So it'd be a live band yeah. and he'd call people up to sing this and that. So from a young age, I picked it up. And now you're perfecting your skills. I'm trying, I'm trying. We're nearly there, we're nearly there. Um, You know, education, were you uh, indifferent to education uh, as a young fellow? I'd done my junior cert in the mainstream school, which means I'd done my junior cert in the outside. I deteriorated in school after the junior cert. When you come to about the age of 15, 16, that's when my behaviour and my thing deteriorates, you know. Your interest in school diminished. Yeah, yeah. I went from school then to uh, FOSS. We'd done like a outreach there. I'd done that for a 12 to 18 months as well, like, and that was it then. I picked education back up in prison then as well, you know. I don't want to pry too much into yeah, your background, yeah. but have you a long stretch ahead of you? or? At the minute I have, I'm out in the summer of 21, please God. My plan now at the minute is to continue with your education, and as I said, I've 18 months-ish left. I'd like to progress to St. Patrick, which is the progression you know, like mm-hmm. The services down there are unbelievable. They're not anywhere else in the prison service, like... You have everything down there. You're put in contact with the right people for your release, for support. Like in this part of the prison, you're not going to get that. 
Uh, trying to balance things, I mean, you have to eat the prison diet, I suppose, and yeah. you're in the cell, you've only got terrestrial TV, yeah. um, you're able to come to, to education. What about fitness? I mean, do you Well, you have access gym? to a gym. You have the access to a gym every second day. You have a, um, access to the exercise yard every day as well, where you can also continue your fitness uh, plan. Are there very difficult times of the year here for you? Like, I'm thinking Christmas is an yeah, obvious time. Yeah, not only Christmas, like you could have relations, birthdays, your mom's birthday, your dad's birthday, your kids... Like people will always tell you in prison like that uh, like coming up to Christmas of flyers like from December then till the end of January it kind of drags and when you have visitors is that upsetting or are you kind of used to it and are they used to it there's different stages of it as well because there's a regime in the prisons that came in a couple of years ago called the incentivized regime which is a privilege level that you can be kept at you can start on basic standard and enhanced I'm currently an enhanced prisoner which means when I get a visit, we sit around the table like this. Yeah. There's no screens or boards in the way. or More of a relaxed regime like on the visit. I mean, you know? It's like a coffee bar, isn't it? It's a coffee bar with no yeah. coffee, like, you know. I'm just wondering, is there a danger of becoming institutionalised? You know, so when you get out, you can't cope with the outside world because... Well, that's what I was saying to you there, Pat, about the progression unit, is um, there's people here, like, getting out probably today, Pat, that are going home. They're not going to home to a home. Like, they're probably getting a hostel or this and that and... Okay, because they haven't gone through the steps to, to, be, to, to get to the enhanced level that you've got to, so therefore they don't go to the progression unit, but their time is up, so out they go. They probably have to go to a hostel and stuff and this and that, and that falls into then the, the re-offending and stuff. Like, mm. when you put people back into that situation after them doing so well, say, in the education unit, with the support that they had in the jail, and then just throwing them out into that environment, there's not a lot of hope for these people, you know, Luke? And I think more should be done about that situation. Joe, I can only wish you the best of luck and uh, keep the head in the books. Thanks very much, Pat. Thanks. Hi, Paul. What are you studying here at the Education Unit? At the moment, I'm doing an open university. I'm doing it in sports and fitness. I'm I'm a a few years into it now, you know. And uh, you get a lot from it. And initially, when I first came up to the school, it would have been just to get out of the yard and get off the wings and all that. But as I settled in over the years, I, um, I got more interested in education and all that. And it was... It was a kind of, it's a means, you know what I mean? You need to pro- show that you're progressing and you want to progress. So that was the start of something new for me because I wouldn't have had a good education background on the outside. Talk to me about education on the outside. How far did you get and how much or how little did you like it? In primary school, I, used to, I was grand, I was, I was a good student. And when I went to secondary, that's when things started going downhill for me, you know? Yeah. Why? I was a bit of a class clown, let's say, yeah. I would have. I went on to my junior cert. I didn't do well in my junior cert, so I just I quit school and I started working. Then that was it. That was that was the end of my education. The reason you left school, obviously, you weren't enjoying school. That's for sure. Um, and you, you were you just dying to get into the world of work. You know, money in your pocket kind of, of thing. Of course, yeah. As every every young man wants money in his pocket. That is, isn't he coming out of school? So I had numerous jobs. I worked in a few different places, and I settled as a mechanic then at a certain stage. You know. And unfortunately, I got involved in criminality, and that's where everything went wrong for me, you know. That's why I ended up in here. So did you have to do a lot of exams, other exams, before you got to the Open University? Yeah, you have to kind of prove yourself and just show them, like, they, they won't just give you the Open University. So I'm coming to the school since 2010, you know. So I've had, I've had to show that I'm, I'm interested and I want to. So I had to prove myself, basically, before I got this. So I'm doing it now. I'm in my fifth year at Open University. So I've two more years this year and next year to do, and then I'll have a foundation degree. Like I enjoy, it, you know, it's, it keeps me busy. 
it's the perfect place to study, isn't it? You have plenty of time on your hands, so... What's your expectation of when you might get out? Yeah, I don't really think... It's, I have a few more years before I start thinking of that, you know, but I will use the qualification when I grow, but it's all about guard event and all that nowadays, isn't it? So I'll just have to wait and see. If you've kept your nose clean for what sounds like a long stretch, mm. I mean, that's a recommendation in itself, isn't it? Of course, of course, but you all know the outside world is different than here, you know? I think the staff know in here that have been keeping your nose clean and staying out of trouble and all, but... It's a big bad world out there. Yeah. What, what are the teachers like, without naming names? The teachers are brilliant up here. I'm, I'm not just saying that because you were in th- the teachers are great. They are. That's, that's one of the main reasons why you do come back up because the teachers are so... They're great by everyone, you know. It's not that not just great with certain people. They are great by everyone, you know. They're very compassionate with us, you know. They're good. They're very good, they are. Yeah. Now, you've been in for such a long time and with a few more years to go, you know, things have happened, I'm sure. Family bereavements, uh, things you miss... Yeah. Uh, how do you cope it's with a, that? It's hard. I, like, I see psychology and all that, and I deal with them on a, on a weekly basis, you know. It's good that you get this... It's it's very... I think it's vital that you get to see the likes of them on here because it is a stressful environment. If anyone says it isn't, I think they're, they're silly to say that, being in prison. It's, uh, it, it's constantly... You're constantly, like, on the lookout. You know what I mean? You're in prison. It's not a nice place. So if someone just got the wrong idea about you, you you could be in danger of getting whacked by somebody or, you know, I've seen some of the the video of fights and that and, Mm. you know, they seem to erupt out of nothing. Yeah, things can just escalate out of nowhere and hurt and it just just happens like that, you know, it's it's daily life in prison, you just have to be able to deal with it. Like it's a hard thing to just grab with it and all, but you have to, you know. And because you're in for such a long time, does that give you a certain reputation for don't touch him? Like he's... No, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that. It's just the longer sentence you're doing, the, like you're, you're left alone, you know? Yeah. People just leave you be. Because you know? you're no longer relevant to what was going on exactly. in the outside world. Exactly. That's what happens, yeah. There's always bigger and better people that come along, you know? You seem kind of uh, very much at ease with yourself. Um, maybe reconciled to the life here. Mm. That's, I'm just I'm so accustomed to the, the prison and the, and the ways of prison now at this stage you know I'm in, I'm in over 10 years you know I had to take a, a negative and turn it into a positive you know but Paul thank you very much for talking no to us thanks very much Mark Morrison you're a prison officer and you're a teacher is that right? I, I'm a school officer I um, assist with getting the, the guys in and out to, to the school every day from the, from the landings into the, into the classrooms each day is that a challenge, or are they rushing to get to the classroom? Some guys like to come up and not go to class. It's like, you know, the old schoolyard, trying to get the guys into class and, you know, behave as such. You know, we, we've no smoking up here. Every, every sort of paraphernalia might be used as well, so we have to make sure all that doesn't happen as well up here. And, and then you have guys who might actually even be fighting with each other, so we have to make sure that that doesn't happen either. So in some ways it is a bit like uh, an ordinary school where you have you know, young lads at each other, but these are grown lads. And yet the atmosphere here, I mean, you all could be putting on a great show for us, but I I don't think so. The atmosphere here seems to be very good. We have instances, we have had, where we've had to remove lads where, especially on, in the afternoons, we only deal with um, protection prisoners. So they can come across each other where they would be fighting with this guy, or he might be from a certain area and it could kick off. It has happened here before. Okay, so normally when they're uh, under protection, they would not meet. They would exercise separately and so on. But occasionally, whether by accident or design, 
they cross paths in the school? Because, because the school is what we call a, a green zone. Whatever, you, whatever issues you have with anyone, you have to leave them behind you before you come in. But sometimes people do not. We actually, um, in the last couple of weeks, we warned everyone coming in on, that it's on the protection side now for any metal or any shivs or anything like that that might have to, they might carry in with them. Some of them, uh, if only at the beginning, but maybe some of them regularly, come up here simply to get out of the routine of the cell blocks. Yeah, I would agree with that. A lot, a lot of them at the very start would have. But they have seen what's available to them up here as well, and they have actually found... Sort of, they're kind of niche and what they're interested in, and yeah, they've um, they found a lot to do here when they're here instead of just trying to get out for an hour or two out of the routine. I'm trying to figure out what county man you are, <laughs> Kildare, <laughs> um, not too far from Dublin. But I'm wondering, you know, the, the bulk of the prisoners here are Dublin, and they're from uh, from particular postal areas of Dublin by and large. Um, how, how do you cope with the Dublin wit and the Dublin attitude? Well, I'm here 20 years now. If I wasn't able to to, to take it on the chin now, I never will. But yeah, it's uh, I, you get used to it. It's, it's 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 it can be good fun at times. I suppose if Kildare ever play Dublin, there might be an issue. We have, well, we we'd have a bit of banter. Now, Governor, a few minutes ago, I met a young man who did the Dublin City Marathon 2019, and yet. He's a prisoner who will be here for a long time. Explain. So, so it's very unique, Pat. This man did the marathon here in the prison. He did 26 miles on the perimeter road, the internal perimeter road. Um, How many laps does that mean? So I believe it's 60 laps. I didn't count them, but I believe it's 60 laps. But it's the first time that Dublin City Marathon have supported a prisoner doing the marathon in, on a different route. Okay, so it's the only time that the Dublin City Marathon has been run in a prison, and uh, we're very proud. And this chap has been training for the last year. He runs our park run every Saturday morning. He's our fastest runner, and it has transformed him. This guy had a chaotic lifestyle. There's no doubt about that. He uh, He's in our progression unit, which we're walking to now, and he is so focused on fitness and and it's, it's a, just a positive, his, his mental health is so positive, his family are so proud of him, it really is a good story. And he's done a long sentence and, you know, he's dealing with the issues in relation to that as okay. well. People talk about barriers and they talk about uh, obstacles. Running is, uh, and sport in general, is, is a complete leveller. We have uh, 40 people here, everybody togged out in running gear and you would never know whether it was a prisoner or it was a barrister or a judge or a governor or whatever, or whatever it might be running. And there are absolutely no barriers. So there's great it's slagging during oh, the it's, run. Oh, it's fantastic. And do you run yourself? I've done a couple of them, yeah. So yeah. they have seen your tattoos they then? Have, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Now, we're coming towards the progression unit, and on my right, there's a very old building, an old stone building, with a, a distinctive chimney, and many people would recognise that from the Dublin skyline as Mount Joy. What is it? So it's actually not Mount Joy, it's St. Patrick's Institution, it's the old St. Patrick's Institution building, and it is, it's a chimney stack that would have been part of the heating system, we had steam boilers, and so you would have had a plume of smoke coming out of that in years gone by. Uh, but uh, to the left is a very modern building. Okay, so we're now in the progression unit. We have 140 prisoners here. I explained to you earlier, there are, the prison is kind of divided into three areas. You have the main prison, which we've left, and you, can, you got the sense of the chaos at times down there. And now we're up here in the progression unit, which is an area for enhanced prisoners. So that, those are prisoners that are most engaged. Uh, some have come towards the end of a sentence. Others are well on in a long sentence, and they're very established. They're very engaged with education, work training, addiction services. Um, and they're accommodated in this 
this area. So it's a, it's a more relaxed area. Uh, supervision is lower. Prisoners are more engaged. Uh, drug issues, there are less drug issues. I, I mean, there, I won't say there are none, but there are very, very few compared to the other part of the prison. And it's just a much more relaxed area for prisoners to be. Mm-hmm. Prisoners feel more, more comfortable. We have an enhanced visiting area, which is more family friendly. Uh, it allows for greater contact with family members, building relationships with children. And just generally, it's a, it's a, a progressive part of the prison. Now, we've just come through the visiting area and there's a big room and it's like a coffee bar to all intents and purposes. But then I've seen families together in a smaller room. Prisoners can, you know, can have a a more private visit, especially with young children when they come in. And I've seen them there. Absolutely. There are two rooms that are being occupied by families at the moment. And it gives gives them a bit of privacy. And again, these people have earned the right for these visits. They're well engaged and it just enhances the whole visiting experience. It is very relaxed here. I I see some sort of a joinery workshop in there. What's that? So we have a picture framing workshop. And then right behind me here, we have a barista bar and we have a home economics room. We do some barista training in there because, okay. again, it's an area where there are employment opportunities for ex-offenders, so it's something we're trying to uh, um, um, progress for. Okay. okay, and, uh, you know, you can make decent living from Absolutely. being a barista and Absolutely. a gym. Now, we've just come into the gym, the prisoner's gym. It is enormous. It is enormous. Again, gym is really, it's one of those areas that prisoners really, really appreciate. It is, I suppose, it's good for the mind. It's good for relieving stress. Prisoners are very into bodybuilding, so they have the opportunity to work out in the gym. And and I suppose it's a de-stressor, really. People are still in prison, so while they have access to a gym, it is it is important that we look after people physically and and give them an opportunity to de-stress and to to exercise. So you know, it's it's a pretty uh, functional gym. There's gyms in all over the community. There's nothing that you wouldn't see in a community yeah. anyway. You know, but they hanged him as a beast is hanged. They did not even toll a requiem, which might have brought rest to his startled soul. But hurriedly they took him out and hid him in a hole. The chaplain would not kneel to pray by his dishonored grave, nor mark it with that blessed cross that Christ for sinners gave, because the man was one of those whom Christ came down to save. Now, Eddie, I've been enjoying my trip to Mount Joy, but you brought me to a place that will bring shivers down anybody's spine. Where are we now? So we're now in the original hang house in Mount Joy. It was off the D division in Mount Joy Prison. Um, as you can see, it's still in, it's, it's intact. It, I won't say it's a functioning hang house anymore yeah. because it obviously isn't, but it is, uh, it's still in working order, Pat. Let's yeah. put it that way, if needs be. And it is very eerie and you can get that cold feeling about it. We're on the ground floor and then there's, uh, uh, steps leading up to the balcony above and of course there's a, an opening and the condemned man would have been would hanged stand. by the neck and then would have stood on that uh, platform and the platform would have been opened and he would have been hung by the neck until he died and it was it was as simple as that uh, I believe it was quite a, a kind of a technical process so the, the man they took the weight of the man and then there was sandbags added to the floor if needs be so the death would be as quick as possible so there was a bit of science to it the executioner was Pierpoint I believe from mm. the UK and uh, yeah, as you see the last execution I think was in 54 1954 Michael Manning on the 20th of April of the 40 something executions only one woman only one woman her name was Annie Walsh and she died 
the 5th of August 1925 because there's a list of everybody who was executed by the Irish jurisdiction but also those executed by the British including of course Kevin Barry. Kevin Barry, absolutely yeah and again you know we, we bring a lot of people in to see the hanghouse because it really is part of our history um, and Mountjoy is so intertwined with uh, the history of the, the birth of their nation and, and 1916 and 1922 and all of those, you know, iconic eras. Uh, looking at the uh, notices you have here, and we see that the Irish executions included on the 8th of December 1922, executed by the Free State, Rory O'Connor, Liam Mellows, Dick Barrett and Joe McKelvey. And on the executions carried out after the independence and so on, uh, we go right up to a name that has become familiar in recent years, and that is Harry Gleeson, executed on the 23rd of April, 1941. But, but there is an addendum at the end of this sign. Well, there is, uh, Pat, uh, Harry Gleeson was received a pardon from the Minister for Justice on the 1st of April 20, uh, 2015. And, uh, you know, as a result of that, he, we are in the process of exhuming his body from the grounds of Mountjoy for uh, a civilian burial. OK, we've come to the upper area and it's, it's quite stark. There's just a, a very simple, plain wooden crucifix and we see where the trapdoor would have been, the hinges, everything is still intact. Everything is still intact, Pat, and you'll see to our left here is the door into the condemned man's cell, and the condemned man would have spent his last night there in the company of two prison officers. He would have been taken out on the morning of the execution and brought to the platform here, and then the executioner would have carried out his ritual, and he would have been hung, and at that stage the bell that you saw at the front of the gate would have been rung out, and family members or members of the community would have been aware that the, the hanging had taken place. And on the ground floor here, there was an opening in the wall where the undertaker would come in, and the undertaker then was horsed on, and the body would be removed on a slab and taken out of the prison. And all would have been very quickly, it would have happened very quickly, and with as minimum fuss. And from the moment he walks out of the death cell, we're talking about seconds Se before the drop. Absolutely seconds. As you can see, the distance is very short and the, the deed would have been done very quickly. The last time I visited Mountjoy Prison, I didn't think there would be a next time. I thought that if I'm going to meet prisoners who are rehabilitating, I'm going to be doing so in North County Dublin in Thornton Hall. Of course, we now know that will never happen. But perhaps that's a good thing, because the latest philosophy on incarceration is that it should be within the community which has produced the occupants of a prison like Mountjoy. It looks the same as it did perhaps 170 years ago. Inside, everything is very much changed. I found the visit very interesting, very educational, and in a strange way, humbling, because there are almost 700 men inside there this evening who will be locked up before they sleep, whereas I, well, I can go home. Get up, yeah, Bouncy, 
and clean out your cell. Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk.